Good morning, church. It is so great to be with you. And those of you who are watching online, I want to welcome you as well. So glad to have you be a part of this with us. Before we begin today, I want to have a bit of a family moment. Uh, and that's because there's something significant happening this week in our culture. And uh, you may not be aware of this, and if not, I'm going to give you a heads up. Uh, Tuesday is Halloween. Halloween. Good. All right, you're, you're up to date on this. Here's what I've learned over the years. Christians get all kinds of weird about Halloween. Um, you may have seen this, right? And we have all kinds of opinions and, and you know, what you should do and should not do. And, and so I, I want to speak into this for a moment. And, and we had conversations uh, as a staff already. Hey, what do we do? Do we need to have a Halloween alternative, you know, to get people off the streets and into the church, you know, on Tuesday? And, and what should we do? And, and so we just talked through, and I feel like it's worth mentioning uh, as a church today. So here's what I would say. I'm going to ask you on Tuesday to be intentional in two ways, okay? Intentional in two ways. Here's the first one. Be intentional with your family. If you have young kids, this is an unbelievable opportunity to make a memory with your kids. Um, of all the days of the year, this is one of those days they probably are okay with you walking with them uh, while they go and do something, which there's not all, that's not every day of the year, you know? And, and so I have just learned that, man, if your kids are young, you have an incredible opportunity to make a memory with them and to, you know, explore your imagination with them, to get a little bit silly with your kids, and it'll probably be something they will never forget. And, and, and if you have grandkids, if you live next to kids, if you've met a kid, go connect with them and, and be intentional and say, you know what, I want to be a part of your life. I want to make a memory with you, and I'm going to be intentional about this. Now, one of the things that we decided to do a number of years ago, uh, Michelle and I thought, like, what if we decided to dress up with our kids on Halloween? Because there will come a point where they'll be like, Dad, stop. Like, this is getting embarrassing. You need to knock it off. But right now, they haven't reached that age yet. And so we decided it would be really fun. Well, this has gotten a little bit more challenging the more kids we had because you had to have that many, you know, uh, costumes or that many characters in, 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 a, in a, a thing. And so we've realized, okay, we're going to have to figure out seven of us at least that can all be in the same, uh, you know, related characters. And so we, we try to do this each year. Some years it goes better than others. To date... My favorite was when we got not only our family, we got my, my parents and we got my sister and her husband to all dress up as characters from Neverland. Yeah, I can just feel it, right? It's good, so good. You don't even know. And, and so it's the Peter Pan theme. And so we had all the characters represented. And, and of course, we took a photo of this. And I want to bless you with this today. This is a number of years ago, but check this out. This is our family as Neverland characters. Now, depending on how familiar you are with Peter Pan's story, you might be able to recognize all of those. Uh, my wife and I obviously are in the middle. You may be wondering, what, what happened to your wife? Like, um, I, don't, I don't even see her face on that. Um, she's, she's the one right here in the middle. Um, she's Peter Pan's shadow. In case you're confused, check out these next photos. They'll help you understand a little bit. Look, guys, don't take yourselves too seriously, all right? I mean, Halloween is a great opportunity. Go be a little kid. Have fun with your kids. Make a memory that you can all laugh about later. And so I want to encourage you, be intentional with your family on Tuesday. Don't view it as just another day. It's an incredible opportunity for you to make a memory, for you to connect with your family. Here's the second way I'm going to ask you to be intentional. Be intentional with your neighbors, 
of the things I've learned about Halloween, it is probably the single greatest day where people will get out of their homes or at a minimum open their door frequently uh, to other people, right? It's just not something we do in our culture. But one day out of the year, it's like everybody goes, you know what, let's just let's try it. Let's just see what's going on. And I want to encourage you, go connect with your neighbors. Meet them. Talk to them. Develop friendships with them. You know, some people will never step foot into a church. It would be way too intimidating. Why don't you just talk to them instead? Why don't you just have a conversation, see who they are, how they're doing, what's going on with, with their, their life, and have a friendship with them. You know, Jesus was once asked uh, about how we extend love to other people. And the question he was asked is, well, who is my neighbor? And he tells this whole story about the Good Samaritan. It's an unbelievable story he told. But you know what we realize when we look at, like, well, who is my neighbor? You know who it also includes? Physically, the people living next to you. They are also your neighbors. So, like, we get all spiritual as Christians, like, is my neighbor the Muslim down there? No, it's also the person in the house next door to you. That is also your neighbor. So love them. Be friends with them. You have an amazing opportunity. So as a church, we're not going to provide you anything on Tuesday night to come to. There's nothing at the church going on. We want to encourage you, go out, be the church. Go be with your family. Go be with your communities and make the most of it. Be intentional. Fair enough? All right, all right. We're going to move on now to the message. So what I want you to do, get your Bibles out. We're going to go to the Old Testament today. We're going to go to Numbers chapter 14. It's the fourth book in. If you go all the way to the beginning of your Bible, if you have a physical Bible with you, that's how you can find it. If you've got an app on, on a, a phone or a device, I encourage you to, to go ahead and scroll to Numbers chapter 14. I want you to read this for yourself as we unpack this story today. And if you've got a program with you, you'll see a, a sheet there to take notes. And so I encourage you to get that out and write down. What you sense God saying to you today, what, what God's spirit is going to impress upon your heart as we unpack this story and look at his word together today. Now in Numbers 14, let me set up the, the, the story. So what we're going to look at is a group of people, that there were God's people in the Old Testament, it's the Israelites. It's this chosen people that he had uniquely interacted with um, to, to reveal himself. Now at this point in the story, they had been through a lot. They're about to go into the promised land. Now, where they had been was in Egypt, and they had been raised generation after generation in, in Egyptian oppression. They were slaves. They were treated unbelievably harshly. And, and so they're treated so poorly, they're, they're abused and mistreated, and they have to make these bricks, and then they, they're not given straw to make the bricks with. It just gets worse and worse. And so they cry out to God, please redeem us, save us, do something. And God hears them, and he goes, all right. I've heard the cries of my people. I will extend myself and I will, uh, I will release them from this. Literally, I will change their legacy. And so his, his you know, statement to the people is, you're not going to be slaves. That will not be your legacy. I'm going to bring you out. So he gets a guy named Moses and sends Moses. And Moses supernaturally does things to get them out of Egypt. And then they're heading toward the promised land. And so together they go from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land. But right before they get to the promised land, they've been in the wilderness. Moses decides, which in hindsight was not a good move. Moses decides, I'm going to send out 12 scouts and we're going to go explore the land that God has already promised us. God has said, this is for you. This is where I'm bringing you. This will be your legacy. Perfect. Let's send out some scouts. So he sends out 12, 12 different guys. Ten of them come back and say, can't be done. Can't be done. 
there's no way, we will all die. This will be the worst thing that could happen to us if we move forward, we shouldn't do it, we're trapped, we, we shouldn't do it. Only two of them give a good report. And so we pick up the story right after that. So these 10 have come back and said, there's no way we should move forward. And you figure out what they have to do to navigate this conversation. Numbers chapter 14, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. I encourage you to follow along yourself. It says, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, if you don't know the story, you're going, let's choose a leader. Oh, wow, God had him out there and there was no one to lead him? That's terrible. No, they have a leader. It's a guy named Moses. If you've read the Old Testament, Moses is arguably the dominant leader of the Old Testament. They've got him. That's their leader. Moses directly hearing from God and doing supernatural things to lead them. And they say, oh, we need to get a leader and lead us back to Egypt. We need someone who has direction and vision that can get us back to where we were. This is what fear does. Fear always distorts reality. And, and so they're afraid of what might happen if they trust God, if they move forward into the promised land. They're so afraid that they now are looking at their situation and they can't see it clearly anymore. They're, they're so distorted going, we don't have a leader. We need to appoint someone. We need to figure this out. We get someone that can take us back to where we were. Now you might say, well, they, they, they didn't actually do it. They just said it. Well, if you look forward and you fast forward into the Bible, you get to a book called Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, who comes much later in the story, is looking back on this story. And in Nehemiah, he looks back on it and he talks to God about it. Here's what he says in Nehemiah 9, verse 17. He was referring to them. He goes, they refused to listen and they failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. This is such an interesting verse. Number one, he says they actually did it. So in Numbers 14, it just implies they talked about it. Nehemiah looks back and, and, and seems to believe at least that they actually picked a guy to lead them rival to Moses. But then notice what they wanted this leader to do. Return us to slavery. We want to go back to the good old days. Back to where we were. Back to what we knew. And God has got to be looking at these people going, are you kidding me? You want to go back to that? Now, if you have read about the story of, of the book of Exodus and what God did and what was going on, you read these words and you're going, what happened to them? How are they so rattled? How are they so afraid? How are they losing touch with reality this much? What causes this? And as I wrestled with that question the last couple of weeks, here's what I realized. We tend to romanticize the past, dream about the future, and overlook the present. We tend, today, us and them, we tend to look back and we go, oh, it was, remember when we were slaves? Oh, that was the life. Oh, man. Oh, when someone else would whip us and tell us, what, oh, I miss that. We, we, we can romanticize, they are romanticizing slavery. They're going back and going, oh, we had it, we had it made then. We tend to romanticize just about anything in the past. 
We also tend to dream about the future, but sometimes we can dream about it in terms that never touch reality. Like, yeah, God, you could get us to the promised land. Well, that's great, but unless you believe that in a tangible sense, that dream doesn't matter. And and so we often overlook the point that for that dream to come about, you have to do something today about it. You know the only place God meets us in? The present moment. We don't meet him in the past anymore. We don't meet him in the future. We meet him right now, today. What is God doing today? And yet we tend to overlook the significance of just right now. What would it look like right now in your life to be faithful, to follow him? Just take a step forward right now in this present moment, acknowledging, God, you are with me. What do you want me to do next? As opposed to going, oh, I used to be so great, or man, maybe you could do something, God. No, no, no. What is God wanting to do right now? In this present moment. This is incredibly significant for us as a church in the middle of a transition. We are transitioning out of chapter 1 into chapter 2. That creates lots of feelings, lots of questions, maybe even a little bit of fear. God, what do we do? And it was so great. Maybe it could be great again, and I don't know. And just be present in the moment to go, God, what does it look like right now? What do we do right now? How do we be faithful to you right now? This is what they were unable to do. They're looking back, they're looking forward, they cannot see what God is asking them to do right now. So we keep reading in verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. This is like their ultimate expression of we, we're, we don't know what else to do here. Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. These are the two that gave the good report. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. These two are, are they're, they're baffled. They're going, guys, we can do this. God has promised us. He, he said he's going to do it. Let's trust him. Let's move forward. And now if you know how the story ends, you're like, yeah, what, why couldn't they listen to these two? Put yourself in the Israelite shoes, Okay. So you're, you're having a little uh, town hall meeting, right? You're getting all the leaders together. We're going we're gonna to discuss what we do next. God has said to move forward. Let's, let's look at the details, right? And 10 of the leaders say, don't do it. Two of them say, yes. What do you, what do, you do? Who do you listen to? Now, let's, let's you know, internalize it. Imagine as a church, we feel like God has told us to go this direction, but 10 of our staff members say, we shouldn't do it. And two of them say, yes. Most of us will go, well, I think the two are crazy. Like those two are, are not, you know, in line. Like we, we have this tendency, we always go to the majority, whatever the majority thinks. But God doesn't often work with the majority. And so here you've got 10 saying, no, can't be done. Only two saying, I think we should trust God. And you might go, well, praise the Lord for Joshua and Caleb, that you had voices who would trust God and praise the Lord that the voice of reason won out in the end. Not exactly. If you read verse 10, you see the people's response, Joshua and Caleb. Here's what it says. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> well, that didn't go how we planned it. Um, no, no, no. We, guys, all, all we're saying is like we should actually do that thing God told us to do. Like that's all we're, that's all we're saying. And the rest is like, kill them. Like, you know, they're not with us. Like what? Like I can imagine if you're Joshua and Caleb going, what, what happened? I'm just, I'm trusting God. I'm following him. How on earth is this the reaction that you want to kill me because I actually think God can do what God said he would do? 
See, sometimes following God is not that much fun. Sometimes when you do exactly what God wants you to do, it's going to cost you dearly. And a lot of us are like, I don't, I don't want to pay that price. I don't want to do that. I want God to take care of me. I want God to do all these great things. Have you ever followed God faithfully? Have you ever done something? You stepped out in faith only to have it backfire on you? Only to see the results and your situation got worse, not better? And he went, God, I, I'm confused. I, I thought you were asking me to do this, and, and it didn't go well. Like, what's going on? So often in real life, as I have you know, worked through this with, with uh, Christians, going, hey, help me understand what God is doing. I've noticed a trend that we tend to think, if God asks you to do something and you do it, and it turns out well, you guessed right. Good job. You heard from the Lord. But if God asks you to do something, you do it, and it doesn't go well, uh, you must have misunderstood him. You, you didn't hear clearly. And we have this built-in assumption of, if I'm in the will of God, things should just work out for me. And then you get into that obstacle. You get to that roadblock. You get to something that doesn't work out. And you go, oh, this stinks. We go, man, God must not be in this. I must have heard him the wrong way. And oftentimes Christians will bring this. They'll go, hey, as a pastor, help me navigate. Where did I hear him wrong? And oftentimes I just said, so let me understand this. You expect that if you're following God and you're doing what he's asking you to do, that you should have no obstacles, no issues. It should be the easiest road possible. Well, yeah. What? Like, what God in the Bible are you looking at? Like, that is never the way this works. Yet we have this assumption. If I'm in the will of God, it's just going to magically work out. And I just realized it, it doesn't work like that. And the results are a bad litmus test for whether or not God is with you, for whether or not God actually asked you to do that thing. And yet so often we go, well, the results aren't there. Here's what I know. That spiritual faithfulness does not guarantee tangible results. And if you became a Christian because somewhere some person promised you, hey, all you have to do is follow God and the rest will work out, I need to unsell you on that idea. Because this is the way it works out when you follow Jesus. There is no guarantee of results. There is no guarantee, hey, you just do your part and guess what? God's going to take care of you. Because if it were, Christianity would be a, a grouping of the most selfish people on the planet. Because we would all follow Jesus because it's always in our best interest. It's always going to work out exactly the way we want. Christianity would attract the very worst parts of humanity. And go, oh, yes, God has promised me everything my heart desires. So sure, I'll follow him. And there's actually a lot of Christianity today that teaches this. It's known as the prosperity gospel. Where if you do your part, you follow God, he's going to make sure you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. That your kids will start behaving, they'll do great in school, you'll get a promotion at work, you'll have more money than you've ever had, you never will have financial woes again, and everything's going to work out. You're going to be in the best shape of your life. It's the prosperity gospel. That, that if you do your part, God will do his part. And the problem is this isn't how it works. And if you follow Jesus long enough, you realize that's not how it works. And yet it sounds so appealing. It sounds so good. I was talking about this concept with one of my friends who's a pastor. And, and he was talking about a, a story he had with a lady who he was trying to help her see that she was, had bought into this. And he was trying to help her get out of it. And she just kept defending her, her statements even more. And a couple of them I wrote down because I thought it was so funny. He said one of her lines was, God is going to get me out of my townhouse because for God to look good, I got to look good. <laughs> okay. Next line she said, God is going to get me a nicer car 
because for God to look good, I gotta look good. And she just kept going, going. I've got some bad news for some of you today. God doesn't need you to look good. Can I get an amen to that? Like God looks good, okay? So if we have this understanding of God, you better do this and this and this. Otherwise, people are going to doubt you. It's not how it works. God's not going, oh, should I? Should I answer that prayer? Because I'm really nervous about what they think about me. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's, that's not how he works. I don't know how to break it to you. And yet we think, no, God, you need to play this out. Like I'll, I'll tell you how you need to answer these prayers. And yet that's just not how God works. God doesn't promise those kind of results. And, and you see this, if you've ever traveled the world, you've ever gone on a global trip and, and you've met Christians in other contexts around the world, you, you may have been amazed at their faithfulness to God. I, mean, I can't believe what you're doing and how you're doing it. And this is unbelievable. And you may have been absolutely shocked by the results, by their living conditions. Wait, that meant this for you? You had to do this and now this is what you have? And you realize quickly there is no prosperity gospel. That sometimes the, the more faithful you are, the more it costs you. The more you give up and go, hey, because I believe this, I'm, I'm not able to do some of those other things that other people can. And I've had numerous experiences with this where I sit down and listen to someone and go, yeah, when I became a Christian, all my family left me. So now I live by myself. You're going, wow. And you just realize there's no prosperity there. That's, that's what faithfulness looks like. And so we got to ask, is the goal the results or is the goal simply just being faithful? We live in a culture that tells you, well, the ends justify the means. So as long as you get the results you need, however you had to get there, that's fine. Just make sure you get the results. Jesus says, nope, I, I, I'll own the, the ends, the results. I just need you to trust me with the means. I just need you to be faithful to the moment. So you don't, don't just look toward the future. Just look to the moment right now and ask, what does faithfulness look like? Right now, you may be in a season where you sense God nudging you to do something. God has been weighing it on you. He has been prompting you and you keep pushing it off. What would it look like right now for you to be faithful in the moment? God, all right, I don't, I don't know what this means. It might cost me a lot. And maybe that's why you're hesitant to, to move forward. What if you just trusted him? Hey, God, I don't, I don't, need, to, I don't need to control the results. I'm just going just gonna to worry about faithfulness. I'm just going to worry about taking the next step forward and seeing what you do with all of this. Now, if you fast forward. In this story, you get to God's response to all this. Now, we don't always know in real life God's response to some of the things we're doing. Uh, thankfully, in some of these stories, you do know. You, you have a written account of what God said in response. Fast forward to verse 22. I want to show you what God says in response to the Israelites and their conundrum of what do we do? Do we move forward or not? Here's what God says in Numbers 14, verse 22. Not one of those who saw my glory... And the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. God goes, you, you guys have seen a lot of things, but you're not going to see this anymore. You're, you're, you don't trust me? You don't believe I can do it? That you're, you're so indecisive and you're so against it, you just want to go back? So as a result... I'm not going to let you see it. I'm not going to let you see the promised land to every one of these people. Now, if you think about what these people had seen, this is a haunting, uh, hauntingly ironic statement from God to go, after all you've seen, you're not going to see that. I mean, these people have seen uh, what it was like to grow up as a slave and then to become a free person. As an entire nation of people, they've seen that. They, they've seen God perform 10 plagues. 
upon Egypt against the most powerful empire at the time. They've seen God do that. They've seen God supernaturally part the Red Sea so they could walk through it as an entire group. They've seen God supernaturally feed them in the wilderness when there was no food to be found and then literally food falls from the sky and is exactly what they need. They've seen God do all of that. And yet they can't see just a little bit ahead of them to the promised land. They cannot see what would mean the next step for them to experience that God has something even better in store for them. But it comes after obstacles. It comes after results that they didn't expect. They just thought it should be easy. We should just walk into the promised land and there should be fanfare and trumpets and everybody celebrating us. And God's like, no, it's not what it's going to look like. And they can't get over that. And, and to me, as I just, I'm like, this is so weird that they had seen God do all of those things, but, but they couldn't just take a step forward. They're so close to the promised land. What, what happened? It reminds me of a time when we took our family to Disneyland. I don't know if we have any Disney fans in the room today. Uh, I'm a diehard Disney fan, not quite as much as Aaron Walton over here, but just like a notch off of it. Uh, but I, I love Disney so much. And, and I, I'm of the opinion that um, it really is the happiest place on earth and my kids should act accordingly, right? Like <laughs> it is the happiest place, act like it, be happy. And so when we're there, not everybody can live up to my excitement. Not everybody can live up to my hype of like, we're, we're in it. And uh, we've been there a number of times with a family. And there was one time uh, we were with, and our older three were just, had terrible attitudes. And were just grumpy and entitled. And I was so frustrated because I'm going, you're at Disneyland and this is your attitude and this is what you're going to do. And so in a moment of sheer parenting brilliance, I put the three of them in timeout at Disneyland. Which as soon as I did it and then I watched this scene became really comical to me to watch this. I don't know if you ever had that parenting moment where you're trying to have that really serious look and you're so mad. And then you watch like how your kids take discipline and it makes you laugh. But you got to hold it together because you're the, you're the parent and you, you can't break. And, and so uh, it was so funny to me. I took a photo of them sitting in timeout. And so I want to show you. This is what my kids look like in timeout at Disney. <laughs> I'm either a terrible dad or an amazing dad. I don't know, I don't know which one, but I love this because you've got all the excitement, everything is so great, and then these three are just not enjoying it because they're in timeout. And it's literally, it's like, you're at Disneyland. Act like it. Be happy, be excited, realize what you have. Like God's going, I have done unbelievable things for you. I pulled you out of Egypt. I brought you right to the promised land. Act like it. Act like this is what I'm doing, and yet they can't see it. You might say they have spiritual amnesia. Uh, we, we don't remember what you did, God. We, I don't know if you could do it again. What have you done for us lately? And if you look at the story from God's point of view, you're going, I mean, the dude did a lot. I mean, he really showed up for them. And they sit there and go, we don't know. Ten of our people said it couldn't be done. So God's like, all right, if you can't remember the things that I've done, I'm not going to move forward. And I wonder how many of us suffer from spiritual amnesia? How many of us have experienced God for years? For years. You've experienced God's faithfulness. Now, it didn't mean you got the results you wanted. It didn't mean everything, all your prayers were answered. But, but you knew God was with you. You knew God got you through some tough times in your life. And then the moment you get into the next tough time, the moment you become fearful again, all bets are off. I don't know, but God, I don't know how we're going to do this. 
I don't know if you can get me through this next one. We suffer from spiritual amnesia, and God's going, I've, I've been there for you. I've always been there for you. Why would you think it would be any different now? And yet each new obstacle presents another moment to be faithful, another moment to trust God and go, God, we believe you. We believe that this legacy that you're trying to rewrite for us, that you're actually going to do it. So we're going to trust you. We're going to move forward trusting you can do it. And yet for the Israelites, they couldn't. And so you get to the final verse we'll look at today, verse 25, says this. God says, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow, set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. God says, you, you were going forward, you've been going forward this whole time, turn around. You're not going forward anymore. Go back. And they're not going back to Egypt, not going back to slavery. They're going back to the wilderness. So God has this clear line in the sand moment where he says, I was going to bring you forward. I was going to have your legacy be the legacy of the first people out of slavery into the promised land. But because you can't trust me, because you won't move forward in faith, that's not going to be your legacy anymore. Your legacy is going to be the wilderness. And so this generation, if you've read the story, is known as the wilderness generation. Because all these people, all these people who didn't trust God are going to die in the next 40 years in the wilderness. They're just going to spend their days there. And it's an incredibly tragic story when you realize what it could have been, what their legacy could have been if they would have just moved forward. They would have just said, okay, God, we, we see some obstacles. We have some fear. But we're going to submit all that to you because we believe that you're going to be with us and that we can just trust you with that. We don't have to worry about the results. We just need to worry about following you. And so if you read the story, it's their kids who become the legacy of the first people in the promised land. It's not them. It's the next generation that comes because they won't move forward. And, and so this has got me thinking a lot about the wilderness. The reality is I think all of us experience the wilderness from time to time. And, and sometimes you experience the wilderness um, because God wants you to. I mean, just truthfully. And, and God is so much not a prosperity God that sometimes he will walk you to the wilderness and leave you there for a little bit. And it's not out of uh, spite. It's for your best interests, for my best interests. And so there are times where God says, I want you to develop in a way you can only develop in the wilderness. So I'm going to give you some time in the wilderness. And if you think about it, Joshua and Caleb, the two scouts that were faithful, they're going to see the promised land because they believe God. So God's going to allow them to see it. But they have to spend the next 40 years in the wilderness with everyone else. They have to because of everyone else. And so God says to them, hey, I want you guys to be in the wilderness, but you're going to see something bigger. And God develops them, grows them. Joshua becomes the next leader after Moses. But he spends four decades in the wilderness prepping himself for that next assignment, for what God is going to do next. And some of you today, you feel like you're in the wilderness. And, and maybe you want so badly to be out of it. Maybe there's that thing you've been praying about and you've been pleading with God, take this from me, change this, answer this. Why are you not solving this? Why are you not answering this the way I want? Why do I not get the results that I'm, I'm, I'm pleading for? And the reality is it might be because God wants you in the wilderness right now. And he wants to develop something in you that you won't develop any other way. I remember for years walking through a close friend of ours who dealt with a severe depression. And she was a Christian. Severe depression to the point of, of suicidal thoughts. I remember sitting with her and praying, God, remove this from her. God, she doesn't want this anymore. She wants to be faithful to you. She wants to trust you. Remove this from her. And God didn't answer those prayers. And we prayed them and they prayed them. We prayed them together. We prayed them separately. And God wouldn't answer those. So that's when you kick in to go, God, you're still good. You're still faithful. 
we're, we're just going to trust you here. And I, I'm living proof. Not all my prayers get answered. You don't get special privilege if you're a pastor. You know, you get more of my prayers answered than you do. It doesn't work like that. So I have my own wilderness things where I'm like, I don't know why this is what's happening. I don't know why you're not answering this. I go, okay, God, I trust you, and you must want me here for, for the season. So I'm going to be in this wilderness. I'm going to learn what I can learn in this time. But there are also times where we choose the wilderness. God didn't want it for you. We choose it. I wonder how many of us wake up every morning we feel stuck. You feel stuck in your marriage. feel stuck in your job. feel stuck in your life. You just feel stuck. And you just think, that's just how it is. Just, that's gonna, ever going to be it. This is it right now. And God doesn't want you to feel stuck. God's not a God who gets stuck. And, and so if you feel stuck, there, there's some disconnect there from what God is trying to do in your life. So you understand who Jesus is. You understand that he brings redemption into any story. You realize there are no hopeless marriages. There are no hopeless situations of any kind when you have Jesus in the mix. And so it doesn't mean you get all the results and all the answers you want, but you acknowledge even in the midst of it, hey, I don't need to feel stuck. I, I, I can realize that God is here. There's a difference between stuck and being stopped. Joshua and Caleb were stopped in the wilderness for a season. They weren't stuck. The Israelites were stuck. They couldn't get out of it. And it was on their own choice. And yet God's going, no, I've got something bigger in mind. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and I think it's one we, we uh, t- tend to, to diminish this, but this is, is a complete game changer to me. It's 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Just think about that. You call yourself a Christian today, just think about that statement. God has given you everything you need for living a godly life. You lack nothing. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Notice this phrase. You are able to share his divine nature. You ever feel like, oh, there's just, I just, there's nothing there. I got nothing left in the tank. No, you have the divine nature living inside you. When you become a Christian, you submit your life to Jesus Christ. He indwells you with his spirit. He gives you his nature and says, act like this now. And this is what empowers us to be faithful. This is what empowers us to move forward in faith, even when we're scared, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's going to cost us something. We go, hey, we have that divine nature. We can fall back on this. This is what will propel us forward. But it's still going to take faith. It's still going to be hard. I love what Pastor George said last weekend. He said, no one just drifts toward faithfulness. No one just drifts into the promised land. You don't just drift into that thing that God is trying to lead you into. It is going to take an intentional act of faith on your part to go, no matter what the results, I trust you. I'm going to move forward. And so here's my challenge for us as a church. You will either grow in the wilderness or you will wander around it. Those are your options. You're going to be in the wilderness. So what are you going to do about it? You will either grow in the wilderness as Joshua and Caleb did, and Joshua becomes an unbelievable leader, or you will wander around it. You will either be stopped for a moment as you develop something that God wants you to develop, or you will be stuck because you don't trust God and you can't move forward. There's a huge difference 
between the two of those. So what do we do with this? Well, some of you today, you resonate with the Israelites. You connect with them in this story. And you feel stuck in your life right now. You're going, that's me. I don't trust God. I get scared easily. I have a hard time moving forward. I, I, I struggle with this. Here's my challenge to you. Remind yourself in this moment that God is with you, even in the wilderness. He's with you. And that he has offered to you the opportunity to participate in the divine nature. There's no reason you should be stuck. And so you look at your marriage, you look at your career, you look at your life, and you go, God, what could you do here? Not what are you going to do. God, what could you do if I trusted you enough with these areas? You begin to invite him into all those, and you realize you're not stuck anymore. You're just stopped. And God's going to do something in the growth of that. And some of you, maybe you relate with Joshua and Caleb. You're going, I feel like I have trusted God. I have taken that step forward, and I got nothing to show for it. And things have gotten worse for me. The reminder is that God never promised you results. God's still with you. And don't let the results determine whether or not you feel God was with you. That's not how it works. Keep moving forward. Keep trusting him. You have no idea the legacy he could be writing in your life. It just might be different than you anticipate. So the question is, are you growing or are you wandering? Let's pray together. Well, God, as a church gathered at each of our sites and all those watching online. God, we, we ask that you teach us how to grow in the midst of a wilderness. That we would not be stuck, we would just be stopped for a season. As you develop in us those traits that we'll need for the bigger legacy you're trying to tell with our life. And it might look totally differently than what we anticipate or what we expect. Yet teach us how to trust you in that. Teach us how to move forward in the wilderness. We, we pray that you keep us from spiritual amnesia, where we just so quickly forget that you have been faithful and you will keep being faithful to us. God, there's people here today that are dealing with some severe obstacles in front of them. They're fearful. They're, they're scared of the unknown. I pray that you would empower them to boldly move forward, to trust you, to step out in faith, and to release the results and just worry about being faithful. God, show us how to be present in this moment how to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.